All right. Good evening, everyone. Yo, it feels strange. There's still a lack of group of people, but it does feel strange not having um, all the sinners with us. Now it's only the saints. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's lucky to be with you. Um, I know lots of people aren't here, but, but I'm excited about tonight and excited about the message that I have to share. Um, who, was, who was here last week when James spoke about the love of God? Okay, it seems about half of you. So just want to quickly give you a bit of context. Tonight I'm going to speak about the fact, as you see up there, the fact that Jesus intercedes for us. Those of you who don't know me, my name's Leonard, and it's, it's a pleasure to meet you. <laughs> But I want to speak about the fact that Jesus intercedes for us. And for the longest time when I read these scriptures that I'm going to read a bit later, you'll see that um, or what I thought is, can someone maybe close that door? Sorry. Just, um. <laughs> I'll just wait. Skulk Willem's not single anymore, so that's servant heart. Sorry, girls. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right. Let's try that again. And I'm going to speak about, uh, tonight, going to speak about the fact that Jesus intercedes for us. And for the longest time, when I read some of these scriptures, there's a couple of scriptures in the New Testament that speaks about this word intercession and that Jesus intercedes for us. And, and I always thought it meant that Jesus had his time on earth, he died, he was resurrected, and now in heaven he's praying for us. And because that's my understanding of the word intercession, it's, it's a word of prayer. And to a large extent, I think that I actually missed the, the meaning of, of what intercession actually means, what it means that Jesus is interceding for us. And I want to get there in a moment, but I do want to link the fact that Jesus intercedes for us. I want to link it with last week's message, because last week James spoke about the fact that God loves us. And he mentioned this amazing example of the fact that the love of God, many times initially when you start grasping the love of God, it's like a bar of soap, a wet bar of soap. That when you try and pick it up, you think you have it, you think you understand the love of God, and as you think you understand it, it slips out. And you need to pick it up again. And you just felt it in the room the moment he, he said that. You could hear everyone laughing as if to say, yes. <laughs> That's how the love of God feels to me. Some days I feel like I understand the love of God, and some days I feel like I struggle to understand the love of God. And I want to say, I'm just giving you a bit of a fast forward, and then I'm going to start systematically with the message, but I'm giving you a fast forward to say that I believe we'll be able to hold that bar of soap, hold the love of God much better if we understand what it means that Jesus intercedes for us. I think it's going to be easier for us. It's going to solidify us. It's going to ground us. It's going to be like an anchor for us that when our emotions go up and down and we understand the love of God and then we don't understand it, that Jesus interceding for us will be what holds us fast to say, I understand it and I'm holding fast to it. So a couple of weeks ago, I used this example and um, I'm going to use it again. I'm not sure if I used it at 4 p.m. or 6 p.m. So please laugh even if you've heard it. Just help me. Uh, help me here. Yeah? But I, I, I spoke about this, that I'm going to rephrase it a little bit. But you know what? There's some questions in life that's actually really difficult to answer because our emotions are very unstable. It's like that bar of soap. Your emotions go way up and down depending on the day and depending on which side of the bed you wake up. And that's especially true for guys. We are so emotional, right? 
what's, what's that now? <laughs> what's that, you bunch of sexists? Why are you laughing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's not only that. It's not only women that uh, are emotional. <laughs> it's actually every human being, we, we tend to be quite emotional. We tend to be up and down. And, and there's some, certain questions that we struggle to answer because we are emotional beings. And our emotions is something we call it's, it's a subject of reality, meaning it's, it's subject to how you feel that day, and it's up and down. One day it's up here, one day it's down there, and you don't always even know where it comes from or how to control your emotions. It's like a raging torrent sometimes, where you think, ah, oh, why do I feel the way that I feel? And there's certain questions that we struggle to answer. I'm going to give you one of those questions. Who of you have ever asked yourself the question, now you need to be honest with me, ask yourself the question, am I an attractive person? <laughs> okay, one honest person. Okay, there is another honest person. Come on, anyone. <laughs> okay, I'm going to prove to you. I think yes, yes, yes. There we go, all the honest people. <laughs> Am I an attractive person or not? Now, here's the thing. This... No, no, not me, not Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> Did you put up your hand for that? <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> That would be awkward. I'm going to tell Carla. <laughs> no, you, Ella. Have you thought, is Ella an attractive person or not? Okay. Not Leonard. That's easy to answer. I mean, <laughs> just joking. <laughs> Are you an attractive person or not? Ask that question. Now, here's the thing. I've had times that I've asked that, and you know what's really difficult about it is, is the answer to that question changes because I am an emotional being. Here's an example for you, and I think all of you would have experienced this. You wake up in the morning, and you walk past the mirror in your room, and you go, <laughs> and you think, dang, I look fine today. <laughs> Just think, oh, how am I still single? Why aren't the ladies following me around? I'm like, have they seen this beauty over here? <laughs> and you go on. Who, who's experienced that? Come on, just some days you look in the mirror and you think, can't be honest. <laughs> okay, you think, that's not too bad. <laughs> okay. Now, who of you, some people are sitting here judging the rest of you, like you vain people, but listen to this. <laughs> Who of you have walked past the same mirror? The mirror has not changed. The person has not changed. But you walk past that same mirror and you go, oh my hat. And you just, you walk on and you think, dang, that, that does not look good. Can be honest? <laughs> same mirror. Same person. Same human being. But with emotions. Emotions go up and down. And it's difficult to answer some questions in life. Because we are so emotional. You can't even ask your friend or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, or your mom. Because your mom's going to say you look attractive. You can't ask those people because they are also emotional beings. We are subject of human beings. We go up and down. And so those questions are really difficult to answer. And I, I want to show you quickly, um, just, just to make it more interesting, because I might have used this as this example. I've prepared a photo for you. So just imagine, just imagine Nico. <laughs> <laughs> Shame. <laughs> Poor Nico, there we go. <laughs> Nico looks at a photo and Nico thinks, 
oh, I need to figure this one out. Am I attractive or am I not? <laughs> you know, that's a difficult one. Because depending on the photo, you might think you're attractive or not, right? We'll have a vote, just to know if Nick was attractive. Come on, in those photos. Is he, is he a cute little boy there? Come on. <laughs> and who thinks, yes, I'm glad Nico grew up. He looks much better now. Come on. Okay, <laughs> you get the point. <laughs> it's a lively crowd tonight. <laughs> you get the point. It's really difficult. We cannot base many questions in our lives. We can't base it on emotions. And I want to say, when it comes to the love of God, many of us come to the love of God and we ask ourselves the question, does God love me? And some mornings, I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm sure that some of you have the same experience. Some mornings I wake up and I think, yes, God loves me. I feel the love of God. I feel the presence of God. I, I open my Bible and it feels like God's speaking to me. I pray and it feels like the heavens are open. And it's like every word that I pray gets heard and I, I speak to my friends and I evangelize automatically. No one has to tell me because I just feel so close to Jesus. And then some mornings, I wake up and I open my Bible and it feels dry. And I pray and it feels like my prayers hit the ceiling. And I feel like I push myself to speak to people about Jesus, but it just feels like I don't want to speak to people about Jesus because I'm struggling in my relationship with Jesus. How can I tell them about this if it's so difficult to actually do, to follow Him? And I, I just don't feel the love of God. I don't feel the closeness of God. You're the same person. Same room, same Bible, same prayers, but emotions fluctuate. It's a really difficult question to answer. Does God love me? If we try and base it off of our emotions. So what do we do? How do we answer this question? Because it's exactly like James said. If we try and answer it in ourselves and just go off of our feelings, then it's going to be like that bar of soap. Some days I grab it and some days it slips. But that's not the type of Christianity that God has destined for us. God has not then stint us to be Christians who feel on a high one day and feel on a low one day. He's destined us to be those who constantly serve Him in the good times and in the bad, even through the difficulties to know the love of God. And I want to say today that I think one of the things that really solidifies our understanding of the love of God is Jesus and the role that He plays. And it's the fact that Jesus intercedes for us. I'm going to explain what that means now. If you understand the fact that Jesus intercedes for you, then you're going to much more easily understand the love of God. You're going to much more freely come into His presence, no matter how you feel. You're going to be able to speak to your soul and get yourself out of the pit of the emotion that you find yourself in sometimes. And you're going to consistently be able to come before the Father before, because you understand what Jesus has done on the cross, not, but not only that, what he is doing for you right now as a Christian, if you've given your life to him. So let me read you a scripture that speaks about the love of God, but also about intercession. And I want to show you how these two come together. Romans 8, it's a popular scripture that speaks about the love of God. I'm first going to read um, verse 8, 38 and 39. Romans 8, verse 38 and 39. Here Paul speaks, and I want to say, I want to be like this guy when it comes to the love of God. Just listen to this. This is conviction. This is like, he can have a, the worst day ever. He's writing this with full conviction. He, his emotions are stable. 
He's not wavering in the love of God. You don't hear any wavering when you listen to this. And many of us are not here. But the reason is, I'm going to say something. Anytime in the Bible you read the word for, you have to ask, what is it there for? Okay, where does it come from? Why is he saying for? It means he said something before this. So he's going to speak about how convinced he is of the love of God. But then we want to ask ourselves, how did he get to this point? Because I want to be like this. I don't want to waver the whole time. I want to be like this guy. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is conviction. Who wants to be like that? <laughs> Imagine your relationship with God if you've, if, you've, if you've been so convinced. So the question is, how is he so convinced? Because I want to say that that is a little bit like it can be subjective. If I speak about the love of God, I don't speak like that many times. I'm a bit more up and down. I'm more subjective. But he's based that subjective feeling that he's feeling in his heart of the love of God. He's based it on something objective. Something that happened that cannot be changed. That's what an objective truth is. It cannot be changed. It happened. It's the truth. The Bible says that I base my life off of it no matter how I feel. And what he bases it on is the fact that Jesus died for us. We're going to read that now. It's, an, it's a truth. You don't have to doubt it. Even extra biblical resources tell us that Jesus did really die on the cross. Jesus was resurrected. Even if you read outside of the Bible, you'll see that those 500 people that Jesus appeared to, they were convinced enough that Jesus appeared to them, was resurrected from the dead, that most of them died for what they believed. That is serious conviction. It is an absolute fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And not only that, not that he died and he was resurrected, but there's an object of truth, the third thing, that what he is doing now, not what he did 2,000 years ago, what he is doing now is he intercedes for us. I'll explain what that means. He intercedes for us now. I'm building it up to explain what intercession is. So let's go a couple of verses before. Listen to what Paul anchors his understanding of the love of God. What, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God. Not, so he's not dead anymore. He's not on the cross anymore. It's not like the Catholics have their Jesus on the cross. He's off that cross. And he's also interceding for us. So what is Jesus doing right now at this moment? Hey? <laughs> Come, what is Jesus doing right now? Interceding. He's not on the cross anymore. He's not on the process of being resurrected anymore. He's already been resurrected. Right at this moment, Jesus is interceding for us. If you understand that, it's going to change your relationship with God. I believe it. If you understand what it means. So let's look at that word. It's, uh, we'll get to some examples in the Bible, one example in the Bible, just to show you. But I want to look at that word, intercede. Now, our English word actually comes from the Latin word, um, intercedere. And inter means between, sedere means go. So the word intercede literally means go between. So if there's person A and there's person B, intercede means there's someone between person A and person B. It's a go between. Okay. I hope you're following me here. It's someone in between. 
Um, let me give you a biblical example where the same word intercede is used in Genesis 30, uh, 23 verse 8. The story here is of Abraham, our father Abraham. And he was looking for a burial site, but he, he knew that if he was going to ask, don't read yet, look here, <laughs> otherwise I'll lose you. He didn't just want to ask for a tomb, he wanted a, a, a piece of land to buy. But he knew that if he was just going to go to these people to ask, hey, can I buy a piece of land? They were going to say, no, we'll give you a tomb. We won't give you a piece of land. So he said, ah, this is not going to work. I can't just directly go to the king or directly go to the rulers. I have to find someone that I trust, an in-between, a go-between person, and a person that they trust, a go-between person. And I'll ask this person because I trust them and they, and they trust them. I'm asking this person to go speak to them. And here's, here's what happened then. So it's just a quick verse. He said to them, Abraham, if you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me. He's speaking to this in-between person, this intercessor. Um, and intercede with Ephron, son of Zoar, on my behalf. So he's saying, if I'm going to try and do it, it's going to fail. I need an intercessor. I need someone in the middle. Now we get to the point where the Bible says, now Jesus is our intercessor. So you understand here, there are certain things that I want, that I need. I want to speak to the Father. I want to speak to the King. But the Bible teaches that I don't go to the King directly. Never. I never go to Father God directly. I go through Jesus. Jesus intercedes for me. He is the middleman. And we can look at the significance of that. He is the middleman. I go through Jesus to the Father. And it changes everything. Because the Father listens in a different way when Jesus speaks than when you speak. <laughs> speaks in a way different way. Let me give you an example just to help you understand this more. Um, oh, there's people at the top. Hello. Hi. <laughs> it's the peanut gallery up there. <laughs> it's so dark in here. It feels a bit strange. Um, those of you who know my wife, Carla, she normally comes to the 4 p.m. service. We've got two little girls, um, so we are married. I'm the husband of one wife. That's why I'm an elder. And <laughs> uh, but it wasn't always this way, let me tell you, youngins. It wasn't always this way. It started a couple of years ago when I met this girl, and I fell in love with her, and we started dating. It was, it was quite a process to get there. I'll spare you all the details. It was gory and difficult and uh, it was lots of tears involved, but eventually we started dating, and when we were dating for about 10 months, I realized, I, I, I came to church and I realized, oh wow, I'm a charismatic, I should get married soon, right? Charismatics don't wait that long. <laughs> Can't wait that long. <laughs> I'm in a charismatic church. <laughs> so, um, I'm kidding, I just really wanted to marry her, I loved her, and I wanted to marry her, and so we were dating for 10 months, and I remember... I decided I'm going to go speak to her parents. And it was, I, I, I made a mistake here, rookie area. Learn from me, don't do what I did, do what I say. Okay, don't do what I did. <laughs> so I, I decided I'm going to go speak to her parents, but I don't want her to know because it must be a surprise. And I don't want her parents to know why I'm coming to speak to them because I don't want her mom to tell her. So I'm going to tell her parents, listen, I'm in Wellington for about half an hour. Can I quickly pop into your house <laughs> to come ask you if I can have your daughter in marriage. It's a big deal. <laughs> so I walk into the house. They didn't expect it. So, oh yeah, hi Leonard, good to see you. And I, I sat down with them and I said, please can I marry your daughter? And you saw the shock in their eyes <laughs> because they are not charismatic. <laughs> so, 
So for them, that was a big shock. And her dad was first like, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think so. You know, when a man speaks in a high voice, they don't mean it. They just, they don't mean what they say. They've just been caught off guard. <laughs> and her mom said, listen, 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 you came to speak to the parents, not to the dad. You're speaking to both of us. And uh, anyway, so I left there a bit confused. I'm like, I think her dad said yes, but her mom looked like she said no, but she didn't technically say no, so I'm confused now. <laughs> so a day or two later, her dad comes to me. And he asked, us for, he asked me for coffee, and we go for coffee here somewhere in Stellenbosch. And, and he says, listen, uh, we sat down and we spoke. <laughs> and uh, we just think, you live in Bloberg Strand, and Carla lives all the way in Swellendam. Maybe if you can just be, no, I was in Stellenbosch at that stage. If you can just be in the same town for about three months, just because you only see one another weekends, it was valid. You only see one another weekends, it's only fun. Just live in the same town for three months, and then it's fine with us. So I was like, okay, cool, I'm, I'm going to honor and respect her dad, because uh, I believe that that is the right thing to do. They love the Lord, so I, I came under the authority, and I wanted to submit to them. But you know, if, if I lived, so anyway, long, I'm just going to, just so you think, I'm, it, it actually did work out. A couple of months later, she moved here. Three months later, I was at their doorstep. They had a bottle of champagne ready, and they said, yes, bless you, okay. <laughs> we married, we've got two children, and a third on the way. So everything worked out, okay, there's a happy ending to the story. <laughs> but I want to say that actually, you know what, uh, 50 years or 100 years ago, it would have worked totally different. And if I really wanted someone's parents to say yes to their daughter's hand in marriage, years ago, I would have had someone that I would have called an intercessor to speak on my behalf. Because I knew that I had someone speaking on my behalf, I would have a much better success rate, actually. And they would go speak to their parents. Those of you who come out of the Labola culture will say, yes, I understand. Eh? Anyone like that? <laughs> the Labola culture still does that. It's actually quite cool. I was uh, quite involved with Godfrey's life when he went through the whole Labola thing, and it was difficult. But what you do in that culture and, and what we would have done 100 years ago in most cultures is you have a, would have had someone that you trust, and they would have been your intercessor, the go-between you and that person. And they would have gone with your best interests at heart, and pleaded your case before the other party. And that would have been much more successful than you trying to do it. Because you are emotionally involved. You're up and down. You can't do it. You might just be in love. I, I'm sorry, I wanted to say other things there. You might just be in love, right? And they can think, oh no, this boy is just in love. He doesn't know what he's saying. But if I've got someone mature, someone that they trust, that can speak on my behalf, I've got a much better success rate. And that's what Lebola is actually. It's a go-between. It's an in-between. Now, the Bible teaches that Jesus is that in-between between us and the Father. He's that in-between between us and the Father. So what does that actually mean? Um, well, I'm going to just think which scripture to read for us. Let me just read you one quick scripture to, to validate the fact that Jesus is our intercessor. Hebrews 7 verse 23 that clearly says this. It says, therefore, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He always lives to intercede for them. So what does this actually mean? So I want to sh- just explain this. I don't, I'll use an example, but I just want to explain it generally first. You know, when, when I come to God, I am but a human being, Right? When you come to God, you are but a human being. Do you know that, that 
like most of us are quite aware of our sin. We're quite aware of our shortcomings. We're quite aware of the fact that we can't actually stand before God. God is a holy God and we are sinful human beings. I mean, you, you felt that. You felt that. You feel like, ah, oh, I can't do it. But here's the thing. The, the actual answer to that is true. You can't. God is holy and you are not. You cannot come before the Father. You are not welcome in His presence, actually. You are not. Because He is holy and only holiness will do in the presence of a holy God. We cannot come with who we are. And God knew that. And God made a plan by sending His Son, Jesus. And Jesus came, He decided, because Jesus also God, He said, I will come in the form of a human. I will live the life that these people live. I'll show them I live as one person among these people. And I'll experience all of the things that they experience, all of the difficulties, all of the temptation to sin. I'll experience it, but Jesus is God and he never succumbed to any sin. He lived a perfect life because he's God. He did what we never could do. He lived that perfect life that is pleasing to God the Father. We can never do it, but he did it. And then he said, I did what they need to do, but they'll never be able to do it. So what I'm going to do is, I'm Jesus, Jesus spoke to the Father, and he said, I will take all of the sin of all of them, past, present, future, and I will put it on me. And I will die for their sin, so that their sin can be taken off of them, and they can be washed clean, and they can come into the presence of the Father. That's what I'll do. So just for a moment, I want you to just see the gravity of what Jesus did there. Just imagine your sin. I want to say, imagine something stupid that you did today. And I think that most of us can think of something. Now imagine putting that on the shoulders of Jesus. Then imagine whatever you've done this year. Put that on the shoulders of Jesus. Now take everything that you've done in your entire life, everything that is not pleasing to God. Take all of those things. Think of those moments, even as I speak. Think of the gruesome things that you did. Or think of the small things that you did. Put that on the shoulders of Jesus. Now take the rest of your life, whatever is left. Think of all the sin that you still will commit. Put that on the shoulders of Jesus. Is it starting to get heavy, people? Is it heavy on the shoulders of Jesus? Come, if you're aware of your sin, you would say, shucks, man, yeah, I've tried to be a good person, but I'm like, there's something in me. Like, just imagine the weight on his sin. Now, imagine that weight of you, but now take everyone in this room and multiply that which you've put on his shoulders by everyone in this room, is it starting to become heavy on the shoulders of Jesus, all this sin? Now take the entire Stellenbosch and put all of that sin on Jesus' shoulder. It's starting to become heavy. Take, take South Africa, take the Western Cape, put all of that on. Take South Africa, put all of that on. Take the Southern Hemisphere, take the Northern Hemisphere, take the sin of the world and put that on the shoulders of Jesus. Past, present, future. Now take all of humanity that was for the last 6,000 years, past, present, future, put that on his shoulders. And everything that laid, how much ever time we have left, put all of that on the shoulders of Jesus. And Jesus went and he took all of it to the cross, to the point that he was overcome with it. And he said, Father, if there's any other way, I, I cannot bear this. And if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus died for our sin on that cross. He took the weight of the world, he took it all on, him, on himself, and he died for it. To the point that it says that the father looked away in anguish because he couldn't even see and look at his son taking all of our sin on his shoulders. Jesus did that. 
He took that sin upon his shoulders. And he said, now you don't have to carry it anymore. I am the perfect one. I died for it. And what it means that Jesus is our intercessor, if this is the Father over here, and I am over here in my bad state, every time I go to the Father, I go reminding myself and reminding the Father that Jesus took it all upon my shoulders. I come through the work of Jesus. I come to the Father. Every single time I come to, Jesus, uh, to the Father, I come through what Jesus has done on the cross. I'll show you a quick illustration. If someone has a Bible, again, Bernard, I, does someone maybe have a, a, a pen or something? A pamphlet? Oh, a pen. And can someone maybe hold the mic, please? I need a lot of help here. So, just for a moment, this is what Jesus did on the cross, and this is what it means that he is our intercessor, that he is the go-between between us and the Father. If this is your life, and the Father is over here, for instance, right? If this is your life, many of us, we think that we need to just go be, we don't understand this concept. Like, I, I need to come before God, I need to pray, I need to read my Bible, I need to worship and I try it, but I just struggle to come to him because I feel unworthy. Every time I come to the Father, I'm just, I'm so aware of my sin. I'm so aware of my shortcomings of the stuff that's peeling off of me. I, I'm aware of the badness of who I am. I'm just aware of it. But remember, Jesus is your intercessor. He is the go-between. He says, stop trying to go to the Father except through me. What it means is, if this is Jesus, we come in Jesus to the Father. And I, before I go to the Father, before I come into God's presence, before I worship, I remind myself of the revelation that I am now in Christ. My life is hidden in Christ. And now I go to the Father. What does the Father see? Does He see you? Or does He see the work of Jesus, your intercessor? He sees the work of Jesus, your intercessor. And so this is what you looked like to the Father. This is what you looked like to the Father. It's beautiful because your life can now be hidden in Him. But too many of us struggle in worship. Come before God. But I feel like I just first need to apologize for 20 minutes, and mostly that's already not enough. If all of your prayers and all of your worship start with the word sorry, then I want to say maybe you're missing something. If you feel like I need to say sorry for a certain amount of time before I'm welcome in His presence, then maybe you need to start sometimes by saying thank you. I'm not saying we shouldn't say sorry. We should say sorry. But man, there should be a lot more thank yous on our lips, actually. Thank you that I am now hidden in Christ. Thank you, God. Thank you that I can come before you under the blood of Jesus. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me. Thank you that the stupid stuff I do, thank you that as I ask forgiveness now, I will be forgiven, your Bible tells me. 1 John 1, 7, you forgive me if I ask for, for, for forgiveness of my trespasses. And I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. He is my intercessor. He is always between me and the Father. And so we get into this stupid place where we are just, I, I don't want to say we shouldn't be aware of our sin. We should be aware because that makes us more aware of what Jesus did on the cross. But we are overly aware of our sin to the point that we don't come to the Father. And that is actually not the truth. I, I, I remember, um, <laughs> this is a, a, a silly story of my life, but... The first time I was involved with, uh, one of the first times I was involved with deliverance, a, a demon coming out. Uh, and that stuff actually exists. It really happens. It's not as scary as you think. It's scary, but you're there with God, and it's beautiful, actually. It really is. I remember 
uh, friends were praying for a guy, and I was too scared to go into the room. Because I thought, if this demon is a supernatural being, he was like manifesting and shouting, and it's like this tiny guy, and oh, it was weird, right? And I, but I wasn't freaked out of what was happening. What scared me is I thought, if I'm going to go into that room, that demon probably knows my sin. And what if I go in there, and I try and chase him out by the authority Jesus has given me, and say, go in Jesus' name, and he says, oh, but who are you to say, because I know what you did last summer. <laughs> The older people will catch that reference. <laughs> That's what I felt like. Like, I, I can't have authority in Jesus. I can't come boldly. That's what it is. I can't come boldly before this demon because I'm so aware of my sin. You know what? I didn't have a revelation of what it means to be in Christ, what it means for him to be my intercessor. Because actually, when I walk into that room, I was supposed to walk in like that. And if he says to me, ha ha, but what about your sin? I'd be like, ha ha, yo, what about my sin? <laughs> because like, what about it? I'm not driving you out by my own power. It's Jesus. It's his authority. <laughs> and so many of us come into the presence of God and we the same way. We're like, oh, I can't come boldly because I'm so aware of my sin. And you need to be like, yeah, but what about my sin? <laughs> I'm not coming in my own stead. I'm coming under Jesus. I'm coming by His blood. When we take this tonight, it's a reminder. We should have this every day, not necessarily communion, but what this reminds us of, every single day when you come before God, when you open up your Bible in the morning, you should say, Lord, thank you that as I read this, that you can even speak to me through this, not because I'm worthy, but because your blood was shed for me, because I come through Jesus. And because your body was broken for me, you died for me, that is why I can read my Bible and boldly ask you for revelation. When I come to pray, Lord, thank you that I can boldly approach your throne of grace, Hebrews 4 says. can boldly come, not because I feel like it, because you're not always going to feel like you can boldly come. When I come to church and I worship, I can open my arms boldly, even if I'm struggling right? I'm not saying live in your sin. That's not what I'm saying. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. I'm not saying that, but I, I can come boldly before God. Why? Because I'm coming through Jesus. <laughs> it's so beautiful. And I can teach myself that when my emotions say, no, you can't, I say, I'm, I'm, I'm not in, I'm, I don't live with my emotions. I live with truth. The truth is Jesus died. He was resurrected. And he is the go-between between me and the Father. I come through him. <laughs> I base my relationship of God, of God off of truth, not emotion. And I think sometimes when we come into, into church and we worship, you look around and sometimes I can see when people don't have this revelation. I can see when we're worshiping and we're praising God and we're singing amazing things to Him and I can see when someone's just, they're just wallowing in their sin. <laughs> they're just so aware of their sin, so aware of their emotion, so aware of their difficult week and they haven't learned to say, okay, I'm going to step out of that things and remind myself that I am dead to, to the old me and I'm alive in Christ now. I'm going to remind myself that I'm in Christ. I'm going to remind myself that Jesus died so that I can come before the Father. I'm going to remind myself that the veil was torn from top to bottom when Jesus died. I can come into the holies of holies, not because of me, but because of Him. You can see when someone gets it and doesn't get it. And I'm hoping tonight that our eyes will be open to know I can come. I can come because of him and not because of me. James sent me this cool quote, and I'm going to basically end with this. 
me just get it quickly. Um, it's by Michael Eaton. He said, a good test of Christian maturity is to see how long the gap is between when you sin and when you ask God for forgiveness. We worry that if we ask too quickly that we're making a cheap grace, but in reality, when we take long to come back to God, it's an offense to Christ and His work. Should I read it again quickly? <laughs> okay. This is the thing I, I want to say to you. We should come boldly right now. I can sin now, and two seconds later, I can say, oh, God, I'm sorry, and I can be fully welcome in His presence. We not, don't do penance anymore like the Catholics, like I have to punish myself. No, it's not that Jesus was punished. Don't punish yourself. We punish ourselves like this. I should at least feel bad for two days before I can come into His presence. You're spitting in the face of what Jesus did. You're punishing yourself, but He was punished. Right. A good taste of Christian maturity is to see how long the gap is between when you sin and when you ask God for forgiveness. It should be, should quickly run back to God when I sin. We worry that if we ask too quickly, we're making a cheap grace. Meaning if I just ask God, I'm like, I can't ask too quickly, then I haven't felt bad enough or too for long enough. He says, but in reality, when we take long to come back to God, it's an offense to Christ and His work. We need to be remind ourselves of the work of Christ continually. Maybe let's, let's stand, and if the worship team can come forward, that would be great. What I'd love us to do is two things. Firstly, I want to make a call to anyone who has never come, and you've never done that. Where's that Bible now? <laughs> what did I do with the Bible? Whoa, whoa, Sorry. <laughs> For some of you, I want to invite you, if anyone is here tonight and you've never put your life in Jesus, not you forget and you don't have revelation and sometimes you struggle, me, like you've never said, you've never said this in your life, Lord, I'm sorry for just doing my own thing. And you might know about God, you might know about Jesus, you might know about the work of God. But you've never said, Lord, I want to die to my old life. I don't want to live the way that I used to live. I want to throw off everything that was important to me. I want to put my life in you. And when you do that, He forgives you. He makes you a new person, a new life starts. You will be in heaven one day. He forgives you of everything that's in the past. He makes you a totally new person. And you know, like one day I was at a school working with um, young boys. And, and the boy said to me, there's this one teacher, and he said to us that we will know if we've done this. We won't wonder if we've given our life to Jesus. We will know. You won't ever doubt. You won't doubt. You'll know. And they said, is that true? Is that true? I said, yeah, actually, it's, you don't have to wonder about that. If you're like, oh, I'm not sure if I've done it, then you probably haven't done it. <laughs> no, then you haven't done it. If you're not sure whether you've surrendered everything to Jesus, whether you've had a moment where He's changed your life completely, then probably you haven't. Then I want to say, what do you have to lose? I'm going to be shy because I need to stick up my hand. Man, that's a small thing to do for God to come and change your life. He said that if you confess me in front of people, I will confess you in front of the Father. So Jesus said, so we're afraid? Like, I don't want to be made the spotlight on me in church, come on, man, come on, like, you should be willing to do that and say, Flip, I need God, 
He died on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. All you need to do is be bold and actually in front of people. And I know it works in different ways. It can happen in your room and whatever. But it can happen here as well. <laughs> it can happen with that bold step of saying, oh, I need Jesus. I need forgiveness. I need to repent. I need to live a new life. Forgiveness of sin and thanks, thank Him for the future. So I want to give an opportunity for anyone like that. And then secondly, I'm going to do that now in a moment. Secondly, as we sing whatever song we're singing, even if it's maybe one of the songs that we did sing, um, I want us to sing it with new eyes. I want us to, as we sing the song, I want you to come with a different approach. I want you to come with this in mind. I want you to forget about your week. I want you to forget about your emotions and whether I'm like, oh, I'm so tired, I want to go sleep now, or I'm tired, so I don't feel God close to me, whatever that might be. Like, forget about that and say, no, 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 I'm going to remind myself that I'm in Christ and I'm coming in a new way now. So we're going to sing it in a different way. So let's just close our eyes before we sing. If God is tugging on your heart tonight, I want to say, do not make the mistake of not responding to Him. He's gracious. He's gracious. If you're feeling that tug on your heart, if you're feeling Him pulling you close and you're like, oh, should I put my hand up? Should I not put my hand up? Then probably that's you that needs to put your hand up. It's God working in your heart at this moment. I'm sure of it. And I don't want to make you shy or anything. I, but I, while all the eyes are closed, if that's you, if you want to make right with God, you want to give your life to Him, not like you've sinned a little bit. No, no, no. You, you need to give your life to Jesus for salvation. You want to be saved. If that's you, if there's anyone like that, can I ask you while all the eyes are closed, if you can just raise your hand, please. Thank you. Just keep it up. If one of the girls can go pray there towards the back. Just keep it up and the rest of our eyes closed. Is there anyone like that? Anyone else? last opportunity okay while those girls pray there let's let's sing a song of worship to our God right with new eyes and let's end on a high actually tonight amen are you with me let's end on a high end reminding ourselves that he intercedes for us oh shucks yeah okay let's sing and then we're going to do communion so let, but let's first just sing and then I'll say when and we'll go and grab communion but let's first sing